0: Hello. Yeah, all right. So I thought I'd start with a joke first. So <laughs> so why do cows have hooves? Because they lack lactose. <laughs> well, so tonight I'm going to be talking about Job, and my talk's going to be on how to respond when inevitably bad things happen. So the first thing we need is some context so we can see things from Job's point of view. Job was a man who lived in the land of Uz. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He, was very well, he had lots of servants too. He was very well respected, with even princes daring not to speak in front of him. In fact, he was the richest person in the entire area. But most importantly, Job was blameless. He loved God, but he also feared him and stayed away from evil, and would even give offerings to purify his children so they were blameless too. So we could see how much of a good man Job was. And in fact, God thought he was the finest man in all the earth. So why would God want to punish such a good person? So Job, Job was written to answer the question left by the, two pre, the previous two wisdom literature books, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, which was, is God rising just? Now at the beginning, God, At the beginning of Job, God was challenged by Satan that Job only loved God because of how rich he was and his wealth and power, and that he would curse God if everything was taken away from him, including his health. God accepted with one condition, his life would be spared. So Job had everything taken away from him, including his health, yet he did nothing wrong. Well, how would you react? With all this in mind, it wouldn't be surprising if you were angry, annoyed at God, or even cursed him. It'd be a challenge to not question God, or maybe maybe, uh, even feel resentment towards him. Despite all the challenges he faced, he did his best to please God and refrain from sin. Job grieved, praised God, ignored his blasphemous friends who made up wrongdoings he had done, defended God and even wished that he had never been born. Uh, God even, God, uh, he knew that he, he knew that he had came, came naked from his mother's womb and he will be naked when he leaves. He had no authority over God and that he was dependent on God, so he shouldn't question when he takes it away. However, even Job found it hard to put his faith completely in God, and at one point he claimed that God was reckless, unfair, and corrupt. He demanded that God should explain himself in person, and he did. God comes in the form of a giant storm and shows Job the universe, but through his eyes. God understands what he sees, but Job doesn't understand. God then shows Job two wondrous beasts that were very dangerous and could kill you without even thinking about it but they are not evil, but in fact, we're part of his good world. So what does this message tell us? So God is trying to say that he is the two powerful beasts. He has the capabilities to bring destruction upon us, but he doesn't as he doesn't want to. Job understands that through his eyes, what God does is unfair and unjust, but uh, but it's but not what God sees. His perspective is bigger than that and interacts with a whole huge complex world uh, you know when he makes his decisions. This is what Job calls God's wisdom. So, what was Job's approach before the ordeal? Job loved God. Uh, Job loved God and was very conscientious about doing right by him and being innocent. However, he, uh, he had nothing to test his faith with. And after the ordeal, Job learned, other than daily temptations, after the ordeal, Job learned the humility from not being able to understand God's reasoning. But knowing God is just and that he has to trust in the Lord, living in peace and in fear of him. Job praised and worshipped God despite the pain and hardship he was feeling. He had faith in God, saying, Though he slays me, yet I will hope in him. He also said, When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Now can you play the video, please?
1: (laughs) Hey guys, I brought you today to a precious metals refinery because I want to show you the process that metal goes through as it's being refined. Come take a look with me. Now the process of refining fine metal starts when gold, silver, platinum, and palladium are delivered to the refinery in several impure forms, some still connected to false teeth and other creepy stuff like that. The lots of precious metals are weighed and tabulated, then the lots are combined with flux which looks a lot like you're actually making matters worse by pouring a bunch of dirty sand in with the metal. But it's actually a very important ingredient. This flux and the impure metal is placed in a vessel called a crucible. This is made from material that can take the heat better than the material inside it. So the crucible is then put into a melting furnace that transforms the metal and flux into a molten material usually within 30 to 45 minutes. The crucible is then removed and the molten material is poured into a mold, sometimes shaped like a brick or other times like an inverted cone. Especially when they use a lot of flux in the cone-shaped mold, the flux fuses with the undesired matter to form a slag that is lighter than the precious metals. The slag naturally floats to the top of the mold, leaving a pure button of metal below. You can then easily separate the metal button from the slag. Once the whole lot has been melted and sampled, it's then remelted and recooled into grains about the size of BBs in order to speed up the extraction process. The grains are then placed into a mantle where an acid solution is used to dissolve the metals into a liquid form. Once the metals are fully dissolved, chemists use other substances to induce reactions that extract the exact metal they're looking for. The results are that you end up with an absolutely pure piece of gold, silver, platinum, or palladium. Now this process, although it may seem a little foreign to your typical day, is actually something that you need to understand inside and out. And here's why. The Bible, when it talks about God testing us, it doesn't use the definition for testing that we automatically think of. When we hear about tests, we think of exams and quizzes to see how much we've studied and how well we can answer those questions at a moment's notice but man, have I got some great news for you today. When the Bible says that God tests us, it consistently uses the metallurgic term for refining precious metal. God does not test you to see how much you know or to find out where your breaking points are. He knows you inside and out. He knows the beginning, middle, and end. He already knows more about you than you do. So that's obviously why the Bible doesn't say that God is up there testing us like a difficult-to-please teacher at finals week. He's doing something completely different. He's trying to make you more precious. He's trying to make you more valuable, not in his eyes, but in the eyes of everyone else around you. He already values you so much that he paid the ultimate price to buy you back from the enemy. He's not testing to see how serious you are. He wants to purify you. To remove all of the things within you that are holding you back from the revolutionary that He created you to be. That's why you might be going through an experience right now that you feel like the heat has been really turned up in your life. Watching the refining process probably reminded you of this past year with all of these extreme conditions of heat, cold, and acid. Just know that you are safe as long as you are in God's crucible. He can use even these fiery trials to help you become more like Him. And to begin to see that with each stage of the process, that He is strengthening you and healing you and purifying you in a way that will help you lean confidently into the indestructible arms of your loving God. So let Him refine you a little bit more today. And don't get scared when He turns up the heat. He's just making you more precious.
0: Gold needs to be heated and tested for it to be refined. The dross is removed, leaving a purer, more valuable metal. When the dross is removed, the gold is reflective, so the blacksmith can see its own reflection in it. So when we are tested, it is a chance to show how pure, how pure we are and show God's working in us. Others can see God when we are see God working in us uh, when we do good or show strength. This is something that Job did. His so-called, his so-called friend Eliphaz said. Think you are how you have instructed many, strengthened feeble hands. Your words have supported those who have stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees. This shows that by enduring suffering through God, we can help others do the same. So we should be grateful for God's mercy, his gifts, and be strong in the will of the Lord. And when we are tested, we should trust in the Lord and know that he is just and we shall be rewarded in our hardships. When in times of trouble, don't worry, even Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God knows what it's like to be forsaken, as he experienced it himself through Jesus. He carried all our sins on the cross, so he can sympathize with all our pain. God has given us no more than what he can handle, so it is no more than what we can handle. So what can we learn from other scriptures? In James, we are told to enjoy when we are tested, as it's a chance for our endurance to grow. We can ask God for strength, but we shouldn't waver. We should be humble and know God blesses those who are patient. We shouldn't think that God is tempting us as temptation derives, come, comes from our own desires. In 1 Thessalonians, we learn that we should be strong in faith and not fall to temptation as we are a beacon for others and we encourage them and bring them joy when we endure. Now, if for some reason you had fallen asleep halfway through or just unsure of any message to take away from this talk, then take away a well-known verse, which is Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me.